0: Praise God, praise God, praise God, who's happy to be alive in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Welcome to Genesis 1 Christian Ministries, and I hope that over the next uh, bit of time here that uh, you'll have your Bible with us, and uh, follow along with us as uh, I'm going through the message here. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, hallelujah, and be also oh glad in it. Speaking of rejoicing, it's uh, kind of challenging, I guess, for a lot of people today to really be rejoicing because all that they hear about is coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. And uh, it is indeed uh, on the tip of the tongue for everyone on the news and everything like that. But uh, uh, the message today that I wanted to speak about is uh, looking at this coronavirus just what kind of impact has it had for us, particularly in the, uh, in the body of Christ for us Christians? You know, how is this unseen seen enemy, how is it actually impacting us in this country and around the world for that matter? You know, and uh, I just want to say that we know that one of the key methods of attack for the medical community and the scientists against this virus is something that's been talked so much about today, and that's social distancing, social distancing. We know that social distancing, of course, it makes sense, you know, to minimize contact with the spreading of germs of any type and to minimize physical interaction between people. Uh, They call for the social distancing to avoid crowds where we could be transmitting that disease from one to the other. And in doing that, it's a a method uh, in the hope of slowing down contamination. You know, however... When you think about this uh, tactic that's called uh, um, social distancing, there's one unintended consequence that I don't think anyone thought about when they came up with this uh, uh, approach to to stopping out this uh, this disease, this virus. You know, what what are the side effects not to human beings in terms of physical uh, health and everything? But there was one unintended consequence that came about. When they implemented this thing that they're calling social distancing, you know, the closing of offices, which is uh, brought about by this social distancing, the closing of offices of public gathering places such as stadiums, movies, dining areas of restaurants. You can do takeout and whatnot, but you cannot eat in any place. Uh, All of that was intended to minimize contacts between people. You know, as you know, people gather in in stadiums, obviously, and movies and dining areas and restaurants, and everyone is sitting in very close quarters. So it makes sense. It makes sense to minimize contacts. However, along with that, uh, in consideration of places where there are a lot of people gathering, is the churches. Okay? So therefore, a part of that they got caught up in the social distancing and closing down of uh, spots where people get together is churches. So now you know that many, if not all, church buildings are closed down. Uh, we are not able to hold our own services uh, and everything like that, so churches are closed down. So the, an unintended consequence there is that churches got caught up in this social distancing approach to stamping out this this dreaded disease, you see. So. This unintended consequence, it even takes it a step further, because the unintended consequence has been that many people are not attending church because of the fact that they wanted to minimize contact between people, social distancing, and therefore shutting down places where people gather in large numbers or in numbers, closing down churches. Along with that came the unintended consequence that now many people are not even attending church. Many people are not attending church in a physical building, you know. Many people are not attending church by viewing or listening to sermons that are televised. Many churches, like us, have pre-recorded sermons that have been put there on the uh, Internet, you know, for worldwide consumption, and many people are not even availing themselves of those pre-recorded sermons. So this is another very critical, unintended consequence. As it is, unfortunately, as I referenced last week about the Pew Research Center studies, many in this country have become part-time churchgoers. Okay? Many of the studies have shown that many people have been simply falling away and dropping out of church for a number of reasons, as I went over last week. These part-timers only attend on holidays, Christmas, New Year's, Easter. Maybe they attend on Mother's Day and Father's Day. You know, we certainly we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. And to be honest and really, really blunt, many times some people look for excuses for not attending church. I have to go somewhere, I'm on vacation, I've got to help a friend, etc., etc. Many people look for reasons not to go to church. But now, since the church buildings are physically being closed due to this coronavirus, many people do not have to look for an excuse to be out of church. They no longer have to, you know, worry about, oh, what am I going to say to my Aunt Tilly or what am I going to say to my friends and my relatives why I didn't show up in church this morning. Now they don't have to worry about that because now they can't go to church because the church buildings are indeed indeed closed. They simply say, I cannot go to church because it's closed, and that makes the excuse for them valid, and they don't even worry about it. So, this unintended consequence that I'm talking about can impact How effective the church is in ministering to people and even combating this virus, you see, because I I really believe that the more that we are away from uh, one another and and away from away from uh, thinking about God and worshiping and praying to God, it can impact how uh, how long it takes for this coronavirus to be to be defeated. Because I really believe, as you heard in my last message, and for those of you that know me, I believe very much that everything is is based on the spirit realm. Everything is spiritual. Disease is certainly spiritual. Amen? Amen? So the longer we get caught up in this uh, uh, worrying about the fact that uh, there's no physical church building for me to attend, and if we let it take us away from what we should be doing relative to the things of God, then this unintended consequence becomes of major importance to us. But let's stop and talk about that for a moment because the physical buildings that we cannot get into right now, you know, are these physical buildings really the church, all right? Are those structures that we are, are so accustomed to going into on Sunday and having a glorious time that are closed down now, are these physical buildings, are they really the church? Well, no, they aren't. We are the true church. You and I, we are the true church. Believers and followers of Jesus Christ are the church, We don't need a physical church building because we are the body of Christ. Therefore, we are the church. How do I know that we are the body of Christ and that we are the church? It's all in accordance to the word of God. It's all in accordance to the word of God. The phrase, the body of Christ, is a a common New Testament metaphor for the church, which is all those who are truly saved. And as usual, that what I always say, don't take my word for it, but let's go to the Word of God to see what the Word of God has to say about it. So with that, let's go to the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, please, um, please pull it out and go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. Unintended consequences. Who would have thought that it would get to this? Amen? Romans 12, and starting with verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, as a matter of fact, just to pause there for a moment, verse number two, be not conformed to, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We cannot be conformed by this world, okay? And speaking of confirmation, or I should say conformance, um, we many people around us, neighbors or maybe others that we know, are, are many are content not to do anything concerning God relative to church because they can't go to church. Do we conform with the rest of them? Do we fall into that pattern also? And just because our friends and families may not be going to the physical building that we are accustomed to going to because they are not, should we fall into the same pattern and conform to their behaviors? No, we shouldn't. We should not at all. We should do what we know God would want us to do. Verse number two, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is for us to worship him. God's will for us is for for us to, to praise him, to carry out the work that he has assigned for us to do. Verse number three, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every single one of us, we have that same measure of faith. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Please underline... um, so, we being many, underline, are one body in Christ. So, here we see one reference to where, to where the, the uh, uh, Bible here is referring to us us as one body in Christ. We also see another mention of one body body. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Amen. Praise God. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's just uh, drop down to verse number 16. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So underline in verse 17 there, for, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Again, we see here that the body, that the word of God is referring to us as the body, being of one body. This one body, of course, is talking to Jesus, is talking about Jesus Christ. You see, and you want more evidence of that staying in 1 Corinthians. Uh, let's go to chapter 12. Chapter 12. And we want to zoom in on verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 12. For as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, many, are one body, so also is Christ. Okay, now let's picture this for a minute, okay? For as the body is one and has many members, your body is one body, but you have many members. You have arms, you have legs, you have a head, your tongue, and so on. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So here you see see the relationship there, the link. Verse 13, For by one spirit, Are we all baptized into one body? Underline one body. By one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink unto one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Please underline. For the body is not one member, but uh, many. The body is not one member, but many. You are a part of that body. I am a part of that body. My wife, your wife, my children, grandchildren, your children and grandchildren. We're all a part of one body. If we're born again believers, then we're one, we are one in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? All right. Would you consider your foot because it is not the same as your hand, not to be a part of your body? I think that's kind of silly to think that you would. Right. I am not the body is is um, is it therefore not of the body? Verse 16. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye. Where would the hearing be? Where were the hearing? Or where were the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? Or as it says specifically, where were the smelling? Okay, so in other words, if your whole body was an eye, then how would you be able to hear? Okay, and if your whole body was an ear, then how would you be able to smell? All right, verse 18. But now has God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member... Where were the body? Okay, so in other words, if you had just, if you were were just all ears or all eyes or anything like that, then then where's the where are the rest of your senses? How would you be able to benefit from the other senses? Okay, but now verse twenty, are there are they many members yet but one body? And if the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I had no need of you. Nay. Much more are those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, are, ne- are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. But for our comely parts have no need, for our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together having given much more, I'm sorry, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for the other. Let's read that again. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for the other. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored. All the members rejoice with it. So in other words there, there should be no schism within the body. There should be no schism within the body of Christ. Unfortunately, we know that today that there are schisms in many churches. There are schisms within that that church, within that ministry. There's a breakdown in communications or people feel that they believe this. Another group you know, feels they believe that and not being on one accord with the pastor who hopefully is doing things in accord with the Holy Spirit. You know, but that should not be the case because we are all important in the ministry as God has put us there in God's ministry. OK, 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it or one member be honored. All the members rejoice with it. 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And members in particular. Okay, please highlight, bracket, put a line under, because this is one of the key scriptures here today. Now, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So here, this is not me saying this. The Word of God is saying that we, you, me, my family, your family, all of us that are born-again believers, we are the body of Christ. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps governments, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So the key features here in these scriptures is that we are the body of Christ. We all have different talents. We have different skills. We have different gifts as Holy Spirit has given us. But together, we, you and I, and everyone listening to this, if you're a born-again child of God, you are a member of that body of Christ, so therefore you are the body of Christ, okay? You are the body of Christ. And so we see here that as we move forward, uh, again, with emphasis on 27, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Let's also take a look at the uh, book of Ephesians. Take a look at the book of Ephesians. Praise the living God. The book of Ephesians. And we want to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is good all the time, and all the time He is good. Ephesians 4. We are the body. And this all goes back to thinking about us going to church and attending church and not being able to go into a physical building, the church. But who is the church? Amen. So Ephesians 4 and starting with verse number 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. Okay. again, for edification of the body of Christ. Again, this is showing here the importance of the gifts that were given to us to pull together, to make us unified into the uh, body of Christ. Because if we were all teachers, we were all apostles, if we all uh, prophesied, that would be the same thing as I said before, the body being made up of all eyes, you know, or or all nose. If it was all eyes, how would you hear or, or, or smell and so on? All right. So God gave these diversities of things to to, um, to complete to complete the body, to complete the body of Christ. We see that the church is clearly equated with the body of Christ. All right? The church is clearly equated with the body of Christ in Ephesians 5. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Again, I'm trying to draw the connection here with us being the body of Christ, the, the church. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. All right. And I'm just I'm just going to continue here for uh, uh, other reasons here. But uh, 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. OK, I always like to include that scripture there, because whenever whenever we read the uh, the beginning scriptures there, um, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. You know, many people get bent out of shape. And many people do not read verse number 25 that says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ so loved the church. So this is not just saying that this is a one-way um, action where, where wives have to only submit and bow down to their husbands. It's saying also, you husbands, wake up. You love your wife as Christ so loved the church. Amen? Love your, love your wife as Christ so love the church. All right, but again, the key, the key scripture here is where it says that um, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. So here we see the linkage between the body of Christ and the church, the body of Christ and the church. We see that that is clearly there. The church is clearly equated with the body of Christ again. And go to Colossians, 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 Colossians uh, 1. Colossians 1, and let's just go down to verse number 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Okay? Underline that, please. Of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Okay? So this is saying the body of Christ is the church. So here we see conclusively, according to the word of God, you can't argue the fact that the word of God here is, is, is connecting the body of Christ as being the church. Again, getting to my opening statements here, why is it that we sometimes believe that because the physical building, the church, is closed down, that the church, for some reason, ceases to exist? Well, it doesn't, because we are indeed the church. We are the church, as you can see by scriptures. Also understand that after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus continues his work in the world through those that he has redeemed, which is the church, which is us, okay? After he rose from the dead, he went on to be with the Father, and and uh, he had sent his apostles forth and left for us the, uh, the the Bible, you know, and all of his many commandments, all of his many teachings and everything. He left his work to continue through us, which is the church. He didn't intend for it to stop. While he was here for his three years, he, 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 he spoke many, many wonderful, powerful things. He, he, he tore down the, the uh, uh, religion of the day. He, he, he taught them that this is what my father is all about, and this is why I was sent here, to save mankind, to understand what the father really intends for us to do, to, to understand the fact that when I go from here that I'm going to leave the comforter, Okay, the Holy Spirit. You know, who who will comfort you, who will guide you, who will take you to where um, um, I need you to be. Jesus equipped us, he just didn't go back to heaven, he equipped us with his Holy Spirit because he told us to go forth and continue the work that he had started here, you see? You see? And so if he's telling us that, then this, and we are, by extension, we are the church, then that means that this should be going on, whether or not the physical building is open and whether or not we're sitting in it, we should be carrying on what Jesus has called us to do regardless of whether or not we can get into a physical building. Amen. We, the church, should be carrying out Jesus' commands and demonstrating the love of God and spreading the gospel. We should be doing that clearly, tangibly, and boldly, okay, without reservation. We should not be, we should not, we should not, not be, be closet Christians, you know. Come Sunday morning and, uh, or, or Saturday evening uh, when your, your friend or a relative or someone calls you up and say, Hey, what are you doing Sunday morning? What are you doing? You know, you know, I'm free. You know, I don't have to do anything. And we can go this, go to the park or something like that, which now you may want to be careful about doing, depending on how crowded that park is. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But, but we're going to do this on Sunday. We're going to do this on Sunday. What about you? How about if you are bold enough to actually say, Well, tomorrow I'm going to church. What do you mean you're going to church? The, the building's closed. You can't get in. Pastor so-and-so sent out the email. Remember, we heard that the building is going to be closed? Okay. Then you should tell that person boldly, well, guess what? We are the church, and we are not closed. We are the church, and we are not closed. There shall be be be, be worshiping God tomorrow. There shall be praising God tomorrow. There, there, there shall be listening to his word tomorrow. There, 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 should, there shall be prayer tomorrow. Sunday is Sunday for us and we shall indeed be in church. How bold are you to make that statement to someone? In this way, in this way the church functions as the body of Christ. Now, I've carefully laid a foundation, okay? I've carefully taken time to lay a foundation based on scripture for understanding that we are the church, not that building down the street or however far it is from you that you've been going to for x number of years that we are the church. Therefore, if we are the church, shouldn't we be carrying out Jesus' mission and direction of the Holy Spirit, as I said before, in our lives, even if we're not going to be meeting in that physical church building? Again, I say, shouldn't we be worshiping and singing and listening to the Word of God, even if we are not in that building? Okay? Now, I take it a step further. What about our children? Okay? What about our children? All of my children are grown, and my children have children now, our grandchildren. And our grandchildren, you know, thank God they've been, been blessed with a, a, a rigorous, a, a full-bodied, so to speak, a, a children's church where they're, they're taught the Word of God. They have lessons that they, that they do in the church. It's not just a babysitting service. They actually uh, are, are, hear, hear a message, okay, that the, that the Sunday school, the uh, children's church teacher has put together in accordance with the Word of God. They have things that they can do and crafts that they can make and so forth, which is all in line with the Word of God. So, what about your children? All of a sudden, they find out that the church building is closed down. You know, and our grandkids actually say, "Say, I want to go to church." And how come we didn't go to church? Our grandkids actually want to go to church. Thank God. Amen. Amen. So, so, so what about them? All of a sudden, now we tell them, "Well, because of this virus thing out there, blessed one, we can't go to church." How? how is how are you uh, fulfilling your role you know as a, as a parent that should be raising your kids in the fear and admonition of the lord you should be raising your kids to to know the lord to 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 have a love for talking about god for praying together for, and singing together and worshiping together what about our children are we going to let their spiritual well-being being just fall by the wayside because their usual sunday school or children's church classroom is not available Are some of us falling away and putting God on the back burner because we suddenly have no more, we we have more free time on Sunday? Are we putting God on the back burner? Are we forgetting about it? Does it just seem like, oh, well, I don't have to go. I don't have to think about God. I don't have to drive. I don't have to get up and and eat breakfast and get dressed and get the kids ready and go down to, to that church. I can sleep in late and so on. Okay, so are we falling away? Or should we, should we, we be stepping up our game? Should we be stepping up our game with God because, because we are not meeting in a church building? Okay? For the mere fact that we are not meeting in a church building, the way we should be thinking is, well gee whiz, you know, since I cannot go to that church, since the building is closed, what else can I do? How can I worship God? How can I spend some time with Him? OK, I don't know about you, but I mean, on the on the times that I've been ill and just could not make it into church, church uh, 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 and, and many, many, many times in my long ministering career and going to church and everything. There have been times that I dragged in not feeling well, because I firmly believe that once you can get into a worship service there and you start singing songs and praising God and you're in the presence of Holy Spirit and, and, and all of a sudden a tremendous healing process comes upon you. It's happened to me many, many times over the many, many years. Get in church and the stuffy head or the, the uh, um, what do you call it, the hay fever and the, the, the seasonal allergies that are there, all of a sudden they, they dry up and they just go away as I get caught up in Holy Spirit worshiping God. Amen, amen. So because of the fact that we can't do that, we should be in such a place with God and, um, how can I say, and enjoying His presence, especially on a Sunday, that if we can't get into that physical church building, that we should be thinking to ourselves, Oh Lord, I want to praise you. I want to worship you. I, I, I want to just come before you. I want to, this is the day that you have made, O Lord God. I shall rejoice and be oh so glad in it and just magnify His name. Put on some praise music. I'm sure you've got a MP3 player someplace around that you can put on some music, you know. And praise them right there in your home. Think of ways of how you can step up. You can step up to the plate and say, "I, God, I am not going to let you drop out of my life simply because of the fact that I cannot get in to that building." Amen, amen. I am not going to do to just uh, fall in line with the rest of the population. And all of a sudden, have Sunday as just a free day. The opportunity. You know, we have to be so careful of this because it kind of sneaks up on us. But the opportunity for growing complacent is more real now than ever before. Complacency was something that the body of Christ has, has suffered with, you know, for many a season. We forget about the urgency to, to reach out to our God. We forget about the urgency, the, 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 the fact that, that uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is, 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 is divine and we are the branches. And that we can, we cannot get disconnected from Jesus Christ we cannot dis- get disconnected from the vine. Amen. Amen. So many times, you know, we get caught up in the issues of life and so forth and we're, we're feeling badly or we're struggling with something. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you heard me preach this many times, those of you who've been listening to these podcasts over the years that are, um, um many times when you're feeling down or you're just not hundred percent sure of what is going on in your life, you're just kind of feeling out of sorts and whatnot. It could be that you've, you, you haven't spent much time in Prayer with God. It could be that there's been a disconnect. You know, your branch is kind of broken away from the vine where you can say, you can get that sustenance of life, where Holy Spirit can minister to you. We can get so complacent and just get kind of caught up in our day-to-day experiences. You, you get up in the morning, you do whatever you're doing, especially now most of us are home are home from work now. Many people are working from home because of everything being shut down methodically, you know. But, but many times you would get up and go to work and you'd rush. You, you know, you're putting on your pants with one leg, brushing your teeth with the other hand, and so on, and you're cooking something, grabbing a cup of coffee, running out the door in your car, and you get to work. The busyness of work, all of a sudden, zoom, 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 the day is done. You come home from work, and you're dead tired, you eat dinner, and then, boy, maybe you read a scripture or two, and then you start to say your prayers, and you fall off to sleep immediately, and you're asleep, you're done, and the next day, it starts all over again. Okay? You see? And that's one way that we kind of get disconnected from the vine of Jesus Christ and our our branches start to wither. Our branches start to wither in terms of, of, of things in our life that seem to be so helpless, that seem to be not falling in place. You're praying about something to God and you're, you're, you have plans and dreams and desires and so forth in life. And, and you're wondering why. Why are, are not these uh, things things happening? Why aren't these things I've been praying for for so long? Why, 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 Lord, are they not materializing? Well, maybe it's because of the fact that you've just kind of drifted away so much from God that you have not heard what God has been telling you to do to bring that thing that you're praying hoping for into fruition. You see, you see. Now, all of this that I'm talking about has been going on when we were meeting in a church building. Okay, these things have been happening to us for a long time while we were going to church every Sunday in that church building. So what I'm saying to you is that now that we are not going into that church building, the church building is closed down. It is so easy for us to even get more complacent now because many people just simply say, well, I don't have to make an excuse and worry about why I don't feel like going to church today. I don't have to worry about trying to find up, you know, or, or worry about my friends or family saying, Jesus, we haven't seen you in church for the last couple of Sundays. We don't have to worry about that now because the building is closed. Amen? The building is closed. You see? You see? You see? So, so, so how easy it is for us to simply get complacent and sit back and say, Well, I'll just go along with the program. This too shall pass. They'll find a cure. They'll do this and things will get back to normal. And then I can get back into going into the church building. Do you know how long that may take? Do you know? Only God knows, of course. You see? you see, you see? But, but, but God did not say in his word that we should worship him. We should praise him. We should carry out, carry out his commandments, live by his commandments, only when the church buildings are open. God expects us to do that every single day of our lives, whether or not we're meeting in a church building. You see, so, so your lifestyle, my lifestyle, should be one where, where, where I am constantly in touch with God. Okay? On that Sunday, you know, that we've, that God has set aside for our our day of rest, the Sabbath. On that one day, why should we change just because the devil has gotten in here and, and, and put that spirit of, of coronavirus out there that is devastating the entire world? Why should we, the body of Christ, the church, why should we as Christians fall along to the side of the road and just give up and give in? Oh, well, I can't go worship God. I can't go to church. They've told me that I can't go out. They've told me that everything is closed down. Okay, you know. Now did you ever stop and think that, you know, you know, who knows? Maybe this is a dry run, dry run for things to come. This gives this gives one a a, a little glimpse, a little glimpse of, of what it could be if Christian persecution was to increase. Multifold in this country, as it is in other parts of the world. It could be that, well, what if, what if, 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 if persecution against us Christians really, really increased and somehow they got to the point that they would shut down the church buildings. Okay? Saying that we cannot go in and worship. Not because of coronavirus, but because of the, of the shifting, the shifting norms that are happening in this country that are leading more and more to the, to the, to ungodly practices. What if we were to get to that point, okay? What would we do, okay? All right. you, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what, he told Daniel, don't pray. He certainly prayed. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, all right? They certainly continued following God, even to the point of being thrown into the furnace. Amen? Amen. So, So what are we to do in this time? Do we just simply give up? We cannot get complacent. It is indeed time for us to, to regroup and to get back into prayer for starters, okay? If you haven't figured out yet how to go about actually doing that in terms of hearing, uh, and I have some other things to talk about as we go further into this message, into this sermon, but, but first of all, let's start with prayer. How about how about sending up setting up some time to send up some meaningful prayer to the Lord? The word says that, the, the word of God says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Matthew eighteen twenty, as we've mentioned many times, says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Okay. If you don't live by yourself and you've got a wife or, 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 or children in the home, there, there's two or three or more right there. That you can gather together. And Jesus promises that he will be right there in your midst. So we don't need to be in a church building to bring about effective prayer for ourselves and for others. So not being in a church building should not change how we pray and worship. In addition to praying as individuals, we need to also pray collectively as the body of Christ. We need to also pray collectively as the body of Christ. But it's easy to wonder if praying together actually changes the world. So consider this true story, okay, because it's easy to wonder sometimes. And, and, and I know there are many people who are praying for things for themselves as a one individual. And they're saying, well, gee, I've been praying, 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 and I don't know. God hasn't answered my prayer. So, so how will me getting together with some other people praying collectively, how is that going to impact anything else in the world, okay? Well, that kind of attitude, of course, you know, if you're not believing, then you need to, to pray about and think about and, and ask Holy Spirit to deal with you in terms of unbelief. But the, um, prayer, collective prayer does indeed change things and can change things around the world. So here, here's a true story and you can, you can look it up, okay? And it's about the silent minute, as it was called. You can Google it and you get, you can find information, okay? But it, it, talks about during the, uh, during the dark days of World War II. There, there was a British major named, named Wellesley Tudor Pole. Wellesley Tudor Pole. And uh, um, he was the one that came up with the idea of having this thing that was called the Silent Minute. Now, he suggested that people devote one minute each evening at 9 p.m. in praying for peace, okay, during World War II now, okay, in praying for peace. Both King George VI, king, uh, he was the king back then, World War II, King George VI, and Prime Minister Winston Churchill, they both supported this idea. They they thought it was an excellent way to go. So therefore, on Sunday, November 10th, 1940, BBC Radio, that's the British Broadcasting Corporation, that's the radio system in Britain there. Okay, on November 10th, 1940, the BBC Radio, they began broadcasting the chiming of the Big Ben clock as a signal for the silent minute to begin. Okay, now you're all familiar with Big Ben. It's that huge, it's that old uh, um, t- clock tower there in London, and they started chiming Big Big Ben at nine o'clock every single evening, and that's when the silent minute was to begin. And at that time, everyone was to stop what they were doing and devote one minute to just prayer for the end of the war and for for peace to come. U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt was present at the time. He also encouraged the silent minute. Okay, And this concept spread across land and sea, to battlefields, to air raid shelters, and to the hospitals. Everyone was on board and everybody followed suit. And after the war, now this is what I find so interesting. After the war, a British intelligence officer was interrogating a high-placed Nazi official. He asked the Nazi official why he thought Germany had been defeated. Interestingly, the Nazi official replied, well, during the war, you had a secret weapon for which we could find no countermeasure. You had a weapon that we simply did not know how to deal with. We did not understand it, but it was very, very powerful. And it was associated with the striking, the sounding of the Big Ben clock every single evening. I believe you called it the silent minute. Okay. So this Nazi official admitted that he felt that what led to, to them losing in the war was the fact that people were praying together every single night at 9 p.m., and even they could hear the chiming of the Big Ben clock, okay? One minute. That's all it took. One minute for people all over the land, including over here, across the waters here, because President Roosevelt supported the idea, were all praying together, and we know the results, of course. We won the war, and the war came to an end. Amen. We... Genesis 1 Christian Ministries, along with others across the world, we found uh, a similar approach that we used last Saturday, March 14th, at, uh, at 7 p.m. Many of us, we all committed to prayer for as long as Holy Spirit guided us, wherever you were at 7 p.m. Your time, wherever you were, to pray for binding up and, and, and defeating this coronavirus, wherever people were in each time zone around the world. So we that were here in the, in the, uh, in the West Coast, uh, Pacific time, we started praying at 7, and we got together and we prayed as long as Holy Spirit led us. And then as the clock moved on, and it was 7 o'clock somewhere else, okay, people there were praying. As the clock, as time rolled on again, and it was 7 place somewhere else, people were praying in, in that time zone. And this went on. So therefore, for 24 hours, somewhere in the world, someone was praying against this nasty coronavirus. Because as we know, coronavirus is not just impacting the West Coast or the East Coast. It's impacting the entire world. You see? So for that particular point in time in prayer, there was concentrated prayer to defeat this corona, coronavirus. There is some validity in group prayer. There's some validity in us coming together as the body of Christ. So therefore, you can say that at that particular point in time where we were all praying, the church was praying all over this planet, all over this planet. At one hour or another, we were praying together in agreement. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. You see? So think about these Sundays, you know, when you're, when you're home like that. You know? I personally believe that our, um, as a result of the prayer that we had uh, last week, I really believe this in my spirit. Because it's interesting that in the following couple of days, the doctors and scientists announced that they had determined that there are two possible drugs. They might be effective in, in treating this nasty, evil coronavirus, okay? And they're continuing to do research on the subject matter. So that was a ray of hope, a glimmer of hope. There is something that they can work with, okay? Now, this is not, this is not, not the uh, preventative measure. This is not the vaccine you know, the scientists and the medical people are working towards a vaccine, which we would take like a flu shot or other vaccines that we have to prevent us from catching coronavirus, okay, it would be a preventative action, all right? But the finding of this uh, possible, these two, uh, these two drugs that could help in the treatment would certainly help to bring down the number of people that are ill in this country and around the world. Okay, so we see that as we pray, as we pray, and if we continue to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, bind up that spirit of of uh, coronavirus in the name of Jesus, bind up that spirit of infirmity, Amen, Amen. That this thing will indeed be defeated. We had prayed that we would ask the Holy Spirit to guide the thoughts and the actions of those in the medical and scientific communities uh, to find success. Something else we can continue to do in the body of Christ, in the church, the living church, in the body of Christ we doing we're saying our prayers and uh, uh for our family and friends and situations and also let's also pray that holy spirit will continue to guide the minds and the actions of these scientists and medical people that are working so hard to bring this coronavirus down amen amen we need to continue going to church on sundays by setting up a routine at home with our children and listen to some worship music put on a pre-recorded sermon from your local ministry or tune in a good televangelist on your TV, but go to church. But go to church. As I said before, many churches uh, um, have put together uh, pre-recorded messages on Saturday evenings so that they can indeed be found on a website or somewhere, whatever that church has available, so their members can tune in and listen to a message. So, so avail yourself of that opportunity. Set aside some time with your children. If at all possible, follow the same routine that you did in your particular ministry. You know, if Sunday school started at 9.30 and then adult church started at 10.30, do the same thing. Set up something where you, you, you can have maybe your churches put up, put up there some, um, you know some pre-recorded children's uh, lessons or something. If not, pray about just sitting, spending, spending some time with your child at 9:30, the way they usually do when they're in the physical church, and read from read from scriptures to the children, pray with the children, and then at 10:30, the adults in the house could get together and also uh, uh, read some scriptures, listen to the pre-recorded message that your ministry may have put together. Okay, but spend some time in going to church with your family. And being with God is the most important thing for us to do in this time. We need to establish some some uh, meaningful, quality prayer time with God on Sunday. I don't mean just a quick one, uh, you know, praise God, good morning, Lord, this is the day you've made, I shall rejoice in it. You know, read a uh, a two-line verse from the Bible, and then boom, okay, and then gone. You're out into the backyard to, to work on the flowers or, or the garden. Amen. So spend some meaningful time with God. Okay. This coronavirus, which can be defeated with prayer, it can be defeated with prayer, it can be defeated with prayer, okay? And that spirit of infirmity, it can be indeed bound up. Speaking of prayer, again, I say, how many people actually bless their food before they eat? Just as kind of a sidebar, but it popped in my mind, you know? You know, how many people actually bless their food before they eat? Okay, there have been, you know, cases or or, or things written about, you know, food workers, they're human beings, some of them are getting sick, okay? So while these restaurants are closed down, we cannot eat in the dining rooms, and they are encouraging us to, to, to do takeout, you know, and or or if they have curbside service, they will prepare a meal and you pick it up or have it delivered to you. But still, there's the person that's doing the cooking, amen? Amen? What kind of physical condition, what kind of medical condition are they in that's doing the cooking? So if you haven't been blessing your food before you eat, and that's one thing I always say, you sure better bless your food before you eat because you never know what's in it. Amen. So pray over it. Bless it. Thank God for it. Pray that there's no contamination in that meal as it was prepared. Everything in this world is spiritual. Amen. Bless our food. Bless bless our food before you, before you eat it. You know, that coronavirus spirit is uh, it's also it's creating so much fear. Another thing I'd like to try to address here is creating so much fear and uncertainty among god's children, and it certainly should not be so you know this um this fear can hit this fear can hit us like a like a thief in the night you know a thief in the night, especially when the news media keeps announcing additional numbers of people who have been tested found to be positive amen. The whole coronavirus thing came upon us unexpectedly. I mean, you may have heard the history on the news. It was, you know, it's been said that China knew about it for a while before they let the rest of the world know. But for the most part, it hit everybody by, with such surprise. Okay. And fear sets in. And fear can hit like a thief in the night. That spirit can step in like a, like a thief in the night and, 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 and steal from you and your family. It can steal joy from you in, in, in your family. It can steal it from you in a heartbeat. That's how fear works. It can be sudden. Things can be going well. Then all of a sudden it happens. Then the thieves, you know, the thieves being worry, anxiety, and fear, they enter into your life. Almost like, it's almost like, it's almost like you've given them uh, them the key to your front door. Worry, anxiety, and fear, they just simply let themselves in without even asking. Amen? Amen? You can be sitting at your table at home, you can be reading a book, you can be watching TV, and all of a sudden a thought will pop in, oh, gee whiz, you know, this coronavirus, what if, what if, what if? Well, gee whiz, I just heard that so-and-so from my job. Gee whiz, I just saw her last week. I just saw her, and now I hear that she's been hit with this coronavirus. And that's how fear operates. It comes on like a thief in the night. You see, you see. actually, you may have given them permission, actually, to enter in, if you stop and think about it. It could be, could be possible that you let them in, you open the door, you unlock the door, maybe you did kind of give them the key. If you've been out of church, if you've been out of prayer, if you've been away from hearing the Word of God, you may have listened to the thieves. You may have listened to them, and you may have, have entertained them, and you may have therefore agreed with them, and then wind up letting them stay, okay? That's one way that the thief gets in. You distance yourself from God inadvertently. You just kind of slip into that thing where you're falling further and further away from God. You know, I always use use the little thing we talk about a frog. You know, you put a frog in a cold pot of water uh, and slowly turn up the heat. The poor frog doesn't realize that it's being cooked. You slowly increase the heat. You put a frog into a boiling pot of water, it tries to get out. It tries to jump out. Amen? Amen? Well, this is how it is, is when we start slipping away from God. It's a gradual sort of thing. And so, therefore, when that thief comes into, the, into your house and lets himself in very easily, you may have given him the key or opened the door because you've been out of church, out of prayer, away, away from hearing the word of God. So, therefore, you've listened to the thieves. By gaining entrance to your mind and your heart, Worry then steals your joy, anxiety steals your peace, fear steals your present condition as it, as it is projected into your future steeped in fear. So in other words, fear comes in and it messes with and upsets your present condition because fear then starts projecting in your mind and starts making you wonder, what is my future going to be about? Okay. All right. So worrying about the future, not only you're worrying about the future, it destroys your present state of being where you are right now. See, that's how fear operates. You know, you just doesn't come in and say, OK, this is what I did yesterday. This is what I'm doing now. But gee whiz, you know, what about tomorrow? Are you going to get sick tomorrow? Is your mom going to get sick who lives in the next state over? Are your children going to pick it up somehow from a friend? So you start worrying about the future. Amen? Let's go to Matthew. Good old Matthew 6. Praise the living God. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Matthew chapter 6. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we want to go to verse number 25. Now these are scriptures that you're sure I'm sure you're familiar with because we've been here many times. But every time I read it, it has awesome meaning to it. Verse 25: Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat, more than meat, and the body than raiment, raiment is clothing. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. Neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Underline that, please. Are you not much better than they? So if God does all of that for the fowls of the air and takes care of of grass and everything like that, then then why should you think that God doesn't think that you are, are important enough to take care of you? Are you not better than they? Verse 27, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature, who can make themselves taller by simply thinking about it or worrying about it? And why take you thought for raiment? Why take you thought for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Underline, O oh, you of little faith. You see, fear coming into your life is also a sign of of your faith. Okay, it, it, It's a temperature, it's a barometer, if you will, for your faith. If you've got fear that's coming into your life, you've got fear worrying about this coronavirus, then you need to to have a conversation with yourself and most importantly with God about your faith. Amen. If you have faith in God, then you're not worried about this coronavirus. It is not God's will for you to get ill. Amen. 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 Verse 31. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or with with wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. You see, worrying about those things is what a non-believer thinks about. Amen? But you're a child of God. You're a member of the body of Christ. You're a member of the church of the living God. Amen? So why are you worried about those things? This is where people that are non-believers, unbelievers, this is the things that that they worry about. Okay? I've told you dozens of times, you know, where over the years things have been happening to others in the office around me or whatever, and they ask me, why am I not concerned, you know? And I always say, how much time have you have got? You've got time for lunch? Then I'll tell you why. And I quickly tell them about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, okay, that I have faith in him, that I trust in God. Holy Spirit guides me. Okay, so we, we, verse 32 again, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows what you have need of all these things. God knows what you need. Verse 33, famous verse 33. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek his kingdom first. Everything else that you need is that's important will be added unto you. Then 34 in closing it here says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Okay? Sufficient unto the day is the evil uh, evil of the day thereof. Don't think about the tomorrows. You have enough to think about today and to give to God. Amen? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs us not to worry. He puts his finger on our chief anxiety. Okay? Jesus points out our chief anxiety, our main anxiety. How will I be provided for tomorrow? Okay. That's the main thing that we wind up thinking about. How will I be provided for tomorrow? The enemy coronavirus makes us fear, excuse me, makes us fear and worry about how will I or my family be tomorrow? Makes us worry and think about that. Am I going to get sick too? Will I be able to find hand sanitizer or toilet paper? (laughs) We've all been to the stores looking for supplies. And there it is, fear, worry, and anxiety. Here we are giving them the key to our homes, giving them the key to our minds. We expend a lot of mental energy attempting to answer this question, what about tomorrow? Okay? We worry ourselves senseless, what about tomorrow? We try to find a solution to each of the worries that may not even happen, all right? We wind up worrying about things that may not even happen, but we spend hours and sometimes days, maybe even weeks, months, you know, worrying about things that may not even happen, okay? But, but, but yet none of those what-ifs, okay, can be acted on because the disastrous events that we construct in our minds haven't occurred yet, okay? Alright, all right, all right. None of the things that, you know, the, the, the scenarios that you're thinking about in your mind can be acted on or can be dealt with because the event that you're thinking about, that you're worrying about, that's going to be so disastrous, okay, you, it, it, it hasn't even happened. Okay? It's all in your mind. Yes, so you worry about trying to figure out how to overcome whatever that thing is you're worrying about and, and it's a what if scenario, okay? And, but, but it hasn't happened yet, so therefore, therefore you can't figure out out an answer to it. So therefore, what happens is that, is that we, we sit, you know, and we brood, we lose sleep, waiting for the worst to happen. Okay? And we play out 9,000 different scenarios of how that bad thing could happen. You even wind up playing out the whole conversation in your mind. What's going to happen between you and, say, your boss, you know, or some other person you have to deal with? You play out the whole conversation. You're going to say this. Your boss is going to answer this. Then you come back with this. And then your boss is going to that. Finally, your boss blows up and he says, get out of here. You're fired, for instance. You know, you know. Okay. Or I go to the doctor and I say this. The doctor does this. And boom, then the report's going to come back and say, yes, you're sick. All right. We play it all out in our minds. So the disastrous results. Okay. That we can do nothing about, and we play out the most disastrous result, but you don't know for sure because it hasn't happened yet. And so we wind up losing sleep over it. Jesus' remedy to this is our Heavenly Father, who is the author of life and the creator of each one of us, you and I. He's our creator. And he knows your needs. He knows my needs. He knows your desires. He knows my desires. God knows. God instructs us to seek relationship with our Father first, with him first, and then all other things will fall into a prosperous perspective. That's what Jesus said in verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is what God tells us to do. Jesus ends this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with a couple of awesome observations. He states that tomorrow will worry about its own things so we shouldn't worry about them now. And that's where he says there famously in verse 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Okay? Awesome, awesome observation. He says, he says that tomorrow will worry about its own things. Let tomorrow deal with tomorrow. So we shouldn't worry about them now. We are not at tomorrow yet. Okay, you're listening to this to this sermon right now. You are not in tomorrow yet. You're not in Monday morning yet. Okay, we should take care of what we need to do today. Okay, today, focus on today. But we shouldn't be concerned about what tomorrow will bring. We are not at tomorrow. God is at tomorrow. We are not. Amen. God knows what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't. Why? Because God is at tomorrow already. God lives in a continuous now, you know. And again, you've heard me say many times. You you know, uh, uh, God is not constrained by lineal time as we are. We have a, a, a yesterday, today, and tomorrow, past, present, and future. God lives in one continuous now. So God is in tomorrow. God knows what tomorrow is going to bring for you. So don't worry about today. Today, we shouldn't be worrying and freaking out if we'll catch coronavirus tomorrow. Today is at today, is at tomorrow, and can keep you away out of harm's way. I'm sorry, God is at tomorrow and can keep you out of harm's way. He, he can he can protect you, he can watch over you, you know. And God being that God is at tomorrow already, and He knows what's coming up. You know, if you listen to His Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit can guide you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit can guide you into tomorrow. Okay, God can, God's Holy Spirit can guide you into tomorrow. So don't worry about it today. So in summary here, what I'm saying is that, is that um, I'm not saying that we don't need to assemble ourselves in a church to worship. I'm not saying that at all, that we don't need to assemble ourselves in, in a, in a uh, church to worship. Because the Word of God does say, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Amen? But what I am saying is that if for some reason, like we have upon us now, we can't meet in a building, we should not forsake worshiping God. So all I'm saying. Okay. I'm not trying to say now because of this, you should not draw the conclusion. Oh, well, I can just, just, if that's the case, then I can just, you know, you know, play back some old sermons. You know, I can go on, go on Pastor Cobb's uh, podcast site. There, There's some not of close to 300 sermons on there from over the years, I can just play back a whole bunch of podcasts, there's a number of other you know you know, uh, um, uh, uh, sermons, recorded sermons on the internet or you can watch uh, uh, a televangelist evangelist on TV I'm not saying that now because of all that it justifies you simply staying home every Sunday because God says do not forsake the gathering together of ourselves okay, so that means that God expects us encourages us and wants us to go to church because that corporate worship time has a place in our lives too it has a place in in, in God's realm in God's kingdom. Amen. So I'm not saying that we should just turn our backs on that. But if for some reason we cannot get to church, we should not forsake worshiping God. The one fundamental thing that God asks from us is that we believe. He asks that we believe. That we trust him. We tend to approach life thinking, show me, then I'll trust you. Amen. We tend to have this approach in life where we're saying to God, show me, then I'll trust you. But then God tells us to trust him and then he'll show us. Amen. 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 Show me, Lord, then I'll trust you. But God says, no, no, no. You trust me and then I'll show you. Amen. So in this time of challenge, let's continue to go to church while we are at home and spend some time with the one who loves you most. Our loving Heavenly Father. Amen. And always remember. When you kneel before God, he stands up for you. And when he stands up for you, no one, absolutely no one or no thing can stand against you. Okay, one more time. Always remember, when you kneel before God, he stands up for you. And when he stands up for you, no one or no thing can stand against you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I pray that this message was a blessing to you. And I pray that now as we close that you um, spend some meaningful time and, and uh, with the, your family and God. Let this be a Sunday of rejoicing because this is the day that the Lord has made. And so rejoice and be also oh glad in it. Praise God. Amen. And God bless.